Thank you, Geordie. You're too kind. Too kind. Well, um, it's lovely to be here this morning. I'm Jasmine. If I haven't met you yet, I hope to meet you after the service. Um, oh, it's just been such a beautiful morning, hasn't it? Thank you, worship team, again for leading us in worship. It's just ministers to your spirit, doesn't doesn't it? And no matter where we're at, um, God speaks directly to our heart, but we get to come into this place together and worship him and lift him up. And I was really encouraged. So thank you, worship team, for that, that time. Well, we are continuing on with our um, study in the book of Ruth. So if you weren't here last week, don't worry, we'll, we'll fill you in a bit on the details um, as we go through the story. Um, it's a beautiful book and Geordie read that, that scripture this morning from Philippians 2, I think it was, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is good, I'm not saying it correctly, but you get the gist. That's what Ruth is. Ruth is this beautiful, beautiful book. It's so well put together um, and we can learn so many things from it. So we're going to dive into the second chapter today, but a bit of an overview before we do that. So last week we were introduced to Naomi's family um, and upon famine coming upon their homeland, Elimelech, the father, decided he'd He'd go out and look for food because they didn't have food. He took it upon himself to go out and find provision outside of the promised land. And what started out as this uh, mum and dad and two boys ended up with um, tragedy. And Naomi ends up coming back to the land, her homeland of Bethlehem, with her daughter-in-law. She says in verse 21 of chapter 1, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. And that's only that's one of twice in the book that it says the Lord's name in in the um, in the scriptures. The Lord, something that He does. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? She said, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. She says the Lord brought me back empty. But we read that she's in fact not empty. Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, was with her. So they come back together, two widows, two vulnerable women, and it says they come to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, this is really important as we go into chapter two. It's not just some insignificant detail, but there's actually a part of scripture in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9, if you want to look it up later. Um, it commands farmers in Israel that they should not completely harvest their fields. I'll read it to you. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So they were commanded to cut corners as they harvested their field to leave some behind for those who were in need. So, sort of like a bit of a, a social assistance program, if you like. A way not only to provide food for the poor, but also a way that the poor could come and provide for themselves. The farmers were to have a generous heart and the poor were commanded essentially to be active in looking for their food and providing for their own needs with dignity. So that's a bit of... Um, you know, a setup as we go into chapter two. Why don't you open your Bibles to Ruth chapter two if you haven't already? Um, and I'm just going to pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word to us. We thank you that it is alive and active. And we thank you for the many, many um, truths that are in this chapter, Lord. Would you just lead us as we discover these today? Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would speak to our hearts 
and help us to know you more through these scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to go through the text. It's a sort of a long chapter. We're going to go through it all together and then pull out a few things at the end. So verse 1, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favour. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So the first verse is actually um, sort of written by the author and they give us some information that Naomi hasn't told us herself. The narrator tells us that Naomi has a relative through her husband's side of the family. Remember, Naomi is at the end of chapter one, we left her in this state of bitterness. She was, I guess, just saturated with this outlook on life. It permeated the way that she looked at the things around her and she didn't hadn't remembered at this point that she had this relative in the family. But the author tells us, this man is a worthy man and he's from the clan of Elimelech. So he's worthy. There's different translations. Um, you might be looking at a different one right now in your Bible. It might say mighty man of, of wealth. Um, some versions say a man of standing. But all of these are pointing to someone who has great stature, perhaps wealthy or influential. Um, he's known in the community, um, prominent within the community. This man stayed during the time of famine and he was blessed. Why do we need to know he's from the clan of Elimelech? Well, that's going to play out as we read through the next few chapters, but it says in verse 1 and verse 3, he's from the clan of Elimelech. It's such um, a bit of a different idea to us, the way that we live and, and our families, but it was very tribal back then and land was highly significant to God's people. So you remember in the book of Joshua that after um, the Israelites had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years that they finally enter the promised land and in Joshua 15 we read about the allotment of land to each of the different tribes. Now this is really important. Your share, so each sec, sorry, each tribe had a section of land to live and dwell in, right? And each um, section I'm going to stop there, sorry, I'm muddling up my words. But your share in the promised land meant your share in the promises of God, okay? For land to stay in the family was the family continuing to have a share in the promises of God. So um, it's linking this family to Naomi and that's going to be a key detail that we're going to discover later on. It's not just a random fact about Boaz that you need to know what family he came from, but it's something that's going to play out in the story so Ruth says to Naomi, let me go to work, let me glean among the ears of grain. And we have to sort of infer here, maybe Naomi's heard about this law of the Lord, maybe in all the years that she spent with Naomi, um, even back in Moab, those 10 years, and then, then coming back to Bethlehem, that she's heard that there's provision of God for the poor in this land. She believes that the promised land is a land where promises are kept. In faith, she says to Naomi that she will go out and seek that which God has promised. She takes initiative, and we, we learned about this last week. It was faith in action. It says that she set out and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she just happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Limelech. What do you think? Happened? Coincidence? 
or maybe divine appointment. The author wants us to understand that it is the Lord's invisible hand that guides her to that particular field. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. To Ruth, perhaps it seems like it was just a random field. She was just going to find food. But we have a hint here of something more, the guiding hand of God in the everyday. And as Ruth stepped out actively in faith, God guided her to this particular field. All right, we go on in verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant was in charge of the reapers, who was in charge, answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves of after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So I think one of the versions says that it just happened that Boaz just arrived at that time. Again, perhaps another coincidence, but he greets his workers with this encouragement and exhortation. The Lord be with you. Um, peace be with you. And they respond to him. You know, remember that this book is set in the time of the judges. And you can, um, it says right throughout the book of Judges that everybody did what was right in their own eyes. But in this time, we instantly can see that Boaz is a man whose faith, it's not just cultural, but it's personal. He lives it out in everything that he does. This man knew the people that he worked with. He spoke to them. Despite being a man potentially of wealth, he wasn't too far above them to speak to them with kindness and engage with them. And because he knows his workers, he knows what happens in his field, he notices that someone is there who, who isn't normally there. Now, this is where sometimes we might add in our own things to the story. So we might want to romanticise the story and think Boaz just had one look at Ruth and he was like, oh my goodness, who is this girl? I've got to know her. You know, and this is a true story. When I walked into a youth group 21 years ago, I did look at one man, Steve Crennan, and I was like, who is that guy? I need to know who that is. But in this scripture... There is no, no mention at all here of her physical appearance. Now, you know, in the book of Esther, it talks about how beautiful she was. And scripture tells us what it wants us to know. Okay, so that's really important. So we're not adding in here that, that Boaz saw Ruth and he noticed her and, and he felt, you know, some attraction towards her. That's not what it's saying. He's like, who's this, this woman who's gleaning in the field? I, I want to know about the happenings of my field. That's what he's saying. And the, the reaper answers, this is verse 5, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. So the worker gives this little report on Ruth. What does he say? He says, firstly, she is a Moabite. Now, last week we talked about that was her identity. That's what she was known by. That was her reputation. The Moabites, and particularly Moabite women, were not um, thought of fondly among the Israelites. Second, she's described as coming back with Naomi, her loyalty to Naomi. Her love for Naomi is famous. Her reputation has gone before her. Um, and as the, the reaper's mentioning all these things about Naomi, he's, it's sort of like saying, you know, she's the one that everyone's been talking about. We all know about her. The village they lived in was probably only a few hundred people. So everybody knew what was going on. And then I like the way that, that the reaper adds in, 
Oh, yeah, and if you didn't remember, she's from the country of Moab. He just, like, hits, hits it over the head again. All right. Next, the worker tells Boaz that Ruth humbly asked for permission to glean. Now, remember, this was her right as a widow. It was her right to come and glean from the fields to provide food for herself. She didn't have to ask for permission to glean as it was a law. She didn't come at him with like a printout and say, read this, like I'm allowed to, or bash him over the head with it. But she asked humbly if she could come and glean. The reaper says she's been working hard all morning. She may not have realised it, but she was being watched and assessed. Verse 8, then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to the young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favour in your eyes that you should take notice of me? since I am a foreigner. Now, Ruth, uh, Boaz speaks kindly to Ruth. He doesn't call her the Moabite woman, uh, but he calls her daughter, which just tells us he was older than her. We don't know how much older, but he was a bit older than her. He instructs her to, to stay gleaning among the field, in the field amongst the other women who worked there. And, you know, in a time when everybody did what was right in their own eyes, you can only imagine... Um, that even though that they were allowed to come and work in the field, that perhaps it wasn't the safest place for a young, vulnerable widow. But he says that you will be safe if you come and work here. He offers her um, companionship as she gets to work alongside the other women and have that friendship with them, protection in his field, and then he goes on to offer her refreshment. You can come and eat at break time. He speaks to her with dignity and kindness and Ruth's humility leads her to ask him, why have I found favour in your eyes since I am a foreigner? Ruth knows who she is. She knows her reputation. If for some reason she had begun to get comfortable in the land and settle in, then everywhere she turns, somebody's calling her Ruth the Moabite. This is the Moabite woman. People remind her of where she came from constantly. You know, I wonder if some of us would say, well, yeah, I've been working hard all day. I, 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 I'm glad someone's noticed finally. Um, maybe now I'll get all of the things that I deserve because I've been working very hard and, and that's owed to me. But Ruth never, ever says that. We don't see her asking why she's in this position, why these things have come upon her life. Instead, she says, why? Has this good thing come to me? What an attitude of complete humility. In verse 11, we just read this beautiful, beautiful statement of Boaz. It's the centre of the chapter and I believe just the most meaningful and profound part. Boaz says, in answer to Ruth's question, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
and I just love the way he speaks to her here as he answers her question of what, why, me, why have I found favour in your eyes? So let's just go through it. Firstly, her devotion to Naomi has not gone unnoticed. As much as everyone knows that she's a Moabite and they put that label on her, they can't deny that the fact that she's left her homeland um, and stuck with Naomi, she's shown loyalty, she's looking after Naomi, this has not gone unnoticed. All that you have done for your mother-in-law. But then what I found really striking is he continues to go through what she has done. So not only have, uh, is it what you've done from your mother-in-law, but this is since the death of your husband. You left your father and your mother. You left your native land. You came to a people you did not know. Boaz doesn't respond to her question, why have I found favour with, well, this is what the law says, that we should leave the corners of our field. He doesn't say, it's because I need to make sure that I'm following the law. But he says to Naomi, and this is the beautiful, to Ruth, I see you. I have seen what you have done for Naomi. I've seen the way that you've devoted yourself and your entire life. But not just that, I see what you are carrying. I see what you've been through. I see the grief from losing your husband, the heartache for your family, for your homeland, that separation and the burden of not belonging among this new people group. And then he goes a step further and he prays over her. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He's saying, may God Almighty, who also sees all this, he sees your devotion, he sees what you have come from and he sees how you've devoted yourself, not just to Naomi, but to serve God as well. This is ultimately who her devotion is to and, and God will reward her for that. Not because she has a right, but because she has come into his family. And that's a picture of coming under the wings. It's this picture of trust and security in an almighty God. We see this pop up a few times in the Bible. It talks about, um, compares God's love and compassion to a mother bird just guarding her chicks under her wing. Psalm 17, 8 says, keep me as the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings. And Psalm 36, 7, How precious is your steadfast love, O Lord. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. You know, Ruth's humble question, why have I found favour in your eyes? It's met with an explanation from Boaz that welcomes her and accepts her into the people and the family of God. And after those few verses, she sort of says, well, I, I see now I have found favour in your eyes. The NIV says, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. I think that's so beautiful. So Boaz um, continues speaking to her, verse 14, and he says, come at, at mealtime, um, basically, and eat with us. And as she goes to glean um, after, so it's like, I'm assuming it's like lunch break, everyone sat around having a chat. Um, but then when she gets up again, verse 15, Boaz instructs his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Now this is much more generous than the command in Leviticus, which is to not cut the corners of the field, but it's to come right up um, 
behind the reapers and to just to straight away the bits that they don't get, she can get immediately from them. She's got first pick, if you like. And also, verse 16 says, pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. Do not rebuke her. This is really beautiful. We spoke before about this, this law that enabled the poor to come and to get food for themselves with dignity. And this is what Boaz does for her here. Let some of the grains from the bundles fall purposefully for her. He doesn't just like have this chat with her at lunchtime and then he's like, oh, I'll make this big package for you and send her off on her way. But he gives her, um, he honours her, he gives her dignity, not by, um, she, he doesn't make in, her into a charity case, but he allows some of the grain to fall so that she can work for it herself. The last scene in the chapter tells us that Ruth worked hard until evening. She did not stop working. She beat out what she gleaned and it was about an ephah, I think that's how you said it, I'm not sure, of barley. Now, we don't know how much that is. It might be like 30 kilos, but it's a lot. It's way more than it was expected for people to be gleaning. And when she goes to Naomi... She takes her the food at the end of the hard day, verse 18. Naomi took it up and went into, sorry, Ruth took it up, went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where, where did you glean today? Like, this is not normal. There's something different about this. And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law, the man's name whom I worked with today is Boaz and Naomi says blessed may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead Naomi also said to her this man is a close relative of ours one of our redeemers and Ruth the Moabite said besides he said to me you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest so Ruth continued to work hard and we see as she comes home to Naomi this complete change in Naomi remember we left her bitter she'd given her self this name Mara which means bitterness that's what she decided was going to be her name but as Naomi hears of the kindness of Boaz something shifts and Naomi lifts up the praise to God for his loving kindness the same woman who arrived in Bethlehem full of bitterness is the one now who lifts up praises before God of his kindness and then it's almost like an afterthought. She says, oh, hang on. I know this man. I know Boaz. He is one of our redeemers. As I said at the start of the chapter, she didn't alert us to the fact that she had relatives there who, you know, may care for them or help them in any sort of way. But here at the end of this chapter, after seeing the goodness of God in Ruth's faith, really, she praises God and she remembers that there is somebody who is closely related to them. It's almost like she's been so long stuck in Moab that she'd forgotten her people in the land of Israel until God brought it to her mind. Naomi's finally beginning to catch on to God's plan. So the chapter ends with Ruth continuing to work hard. She applies herself. She works for the whole of the season. She's looking after Naomi as well and caring for her. Um, we can guess the barley harvest was about three months long. So she would have done this every day, working hard. I'm sure it wasn't easy, but she did it. She wanted to walk out her faith in action. There's so much in there, right? 
it's a long chapter but let's just talk about a few things that we can take from this and I'm sure already for each of you that you uh God is speaking to you about things in your life you know maybe you can see it in the character of Naomi um, and the way that God has changed her bitterness to joy and praise to him maybe you could see it in um, Ruth and her humble faith you know her faith was active and she worked hard to take a hold of what God had already provided he provided the opportunity for her to go and glean it was available to her but it meant that she needed to work hard she needed to put herself out in this community where perhaps she wasn't welcome it took humility she was willing to do though whatever it took to walk towards God's promises to her I think it's interesting that what the author tells us is that yeah Ruth decided to go out and work it doesn't tell us that she decided to just stay at home and pray that God would bring food to her doorstep but she knew the word of the Lord and she knew that God had made a way for her and Naomi um, to receive care it didn't make uh, doesn't make us or I think Ruth as well any more spiritual should we sit and, and pray for all these things although we should be praying for God to lead us in our ways but she went out she humbled herself she knew where God was leading her and she walked towards it in accordance with God's provision because he had already made a way for them to have what they needed she was humble when she arrived at the field and said please let me glean and gather even though it was her right to do so humility is shown in our attitude towards things when Ruth said why have I found favor in your eyes again showing humility not that yes I've worked hard all day I'm glad you've noticed but she humbly continued to work hard even after she'd received the favor from Boaz she continued to work hard all that day and for the rest of the season and as I think about Ruth I think about perhaps the situations in our lives where we walk into certain places environments where we might expect um, or even be we promise a certain standard of treatment but the way that we go about wanting to receive that is in a way that is demanding from other people in a way that puts ourselves before the people around us whether or not we have a greater need but our attitude as we come into different situations you know I love the definition that humility is not thinking less of yourself but it's about thinking of yourself less I hope that I've done that right up there because it can get a bit tricky um, but you know do we receive the things that God has given us his provision and that's different for each of us maybe it's the family that God has given us maybe it's a new family that God has given us after we've walked through our own seasons of brokenness and tragedy maybe it's the jobs that he has given for us to put food on the table for our families maybe it's the friendships that give us deep encouragement and faith to continue do we receive these things with humility and gratefulness recognizing them as good gifts from above or do we have an attitude that is looking at the person next door thinking I actually think that I deserve something better I deserve the next thing James 4:10 says humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up it's God's work to lift us up and it's our job to humble ourselves 
He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And this proverb always convicts me, Proverbs 27 two: let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Ruth was loyal. She left everything that she knew and she came to a place where she wasn't welcome. But she didn't expect anything. She didn't expect praise. But her humility and her attitude, her devotion, let other people to speak praise over her. You know, another thing I noticed in this chapter is God's unfolding plan. And I hope you picked up on that as we went through. Naomi and Ruth just happened to arrive in Bethlehem at the beginning of barley season. There is no doubt about it that these women were in desperate need. They had no way of providing for themselves. In that culture, if they didn't have the man of the family around, and we know that the husband had died, both of the sons had died, they were completely destitute and vulnerable. But they happened to arrive as the barley season was beginning. She happened to go and glean at Boaz's field. Boaz just then arrives that day at the field. And he happens also to be from the clan that um, was of Naomi's husband. God is working for good, all things for good for those who love him. We know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we saw Naomi in a state of bitterness at the beginning of the chapter and how it just overtook and overshadowed everything, her outlook on life and the way she viewed things. We talked about taking on the name of bitterness and being aware when we've done that. And that's the first step is being aware. But this chapter goes on and invites us to take a step of faith and notice the ways that God is working in our lives. And often we don't see that until we look back, right? We don't always see that um, at hand. But maybe if that's you this morning and you're thinking about, I'm not sure how this is working. I can't see how God is bringing it all together. Maybe you can spend some time this week with prayer in the Lord and writing those things down of the way he's done that for you in the past and call those things to mind. I love this prayer in Psalm 71, which is a great prayer for those of us who have felt bitter. Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honour and comfort me once more. I believe like um, Ruth knew the promises of God, she knew of his provisions. When we pray these things and declare them, we can preach to ourselves and like we did in worship this morning and lift up the name of God that he is above all things and he is working all things for his good, for our good and his glory. The final thing that stood out as we go through the passage, was that in a time when everybody did what was right in their own eyes, Boaz starkly stood out as a man who did what was right in the eyes of God. He had great integrity, which was easy to see by the way that he was treated by his workers and his rapport with them. But he was generous and he went above and beyond. You know, the command to leave the edges of the field, that reflected God's heart. It reflected that God is a God of, of justice and provision for those who are less fortunate and for the foreigners. But Boaz went beyond what the law required. 
he asked his workers to leave grain, extra grain for Ruth. Boaz understood that the law stipulated only the minimum generosity that God's people were to show. And he gave above and beyond it. You know, in contrast to this, we can think about the Pharisees who kept the very letter of the law, but their heart was not unto the Lord. Their heart was not in it at all. Boaz understood the heart of the law. He understood that because God cares about those in need, because God is a God of compassion and generosity, that his people should be too. You know, Boaz's mother was Rahab. And I wonder if Boaz had this sense of compassion towards a foreigner because of his mum's past and history. Sometimes it's seeing the faces or getting to know those people that are in need, those people who are different. It takes putting a face to a name for us to capture the essence of what God's heart is, to realise that God's heart is so much bigger than the environment that we live in because we all have a lot going on. We're running around kids or we're trying to make sure we're on time for work and we're working hard all day. We're getting our exams done. We're in our zone. But sometimes it takes meeting someone and God's beautiful plan interrupting our lives for us to realise that we have an opportunity to reflect the heart of God. I believe that Boaz's life reflects Romans 12.1. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your whole lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship where our whole lives bring honour to God. Yes, in keeping His righteous commands, the ways that He's set before us. He knows the ways that we are to live that are good for us, that we will prosper in and grow in and become everything that He's made for us to be. But these commands are not just for us. They are to bless the people around us. They're to bless our communities. They're to bless our state. They're to bless our nation and to bless the, the nations of the world. You know, for each of us, there's different things that we're convicted about. But if we think about the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus just went right to the heart, he talks about our giving. When we give, we should do it in secret. It's not for other people, it's to the Lord. But if we are giving to tick off a box and doing the bare minimum, are we not just like the Pharisees? God asks us to be generous, not because He needs our money, if if we're talking about finances, but He asks us to be generous because it reflects His heart. The world gets to know God through the way that we live. Where are we sticking to the letter of the law? Is it the attitude of our hearts that on the outside we might say a few encouraging words to people, but we're just bubbling over with, with bitterness or anger towards a person inside? Do we work at our job nine to five every day or or whatever day it is and um, we get our work done, but we don't do it joyfully. We don't work hard to bring 
honour not just to the Lord, but to bless the people that we work for as well and the situations that God's put ourselves in. Humble faith. Knowing that we are God's children, He is God and we are His children. He is God above all. And yes, he has lifted us up and seated us with Christ, but let's remember that he is the Lord overall. And we need to continue to have a humble attitude. Let's remember God's unfolding plan in our lives. Let's pray that we would have open eyes to see what he is doing in our lives. And let's just be excited and have faith of what he will continue to do. Let's have an attitude that sees him working and trust him even when we don't see. And let's be challenged to live lives that are above and beyond what God has asked us to do. That we would just, wouldn't it be amazing if we just live lives that were so abundantly generous, not just talking about financially, but in everything we did, the time that we spent with people, the way that we valued them. You know, for some people it might be that, you know, you might have the attitude that we should love everybody and we should accept everybody. But like when have we sat down and have had a conversation with one of those people from a different group that we don't understand necessarily? Maybe they're not in our circle of life. When have we put that faith into action? Could you stand with me this morning as I just invite the worship team up? You know, there's a lot... There's a lot in this chapter and I just trust that the Holy Spirit is speaking to each of us. He knows each of us. So as we just bow our heads this morning, we're going to pray together. And if there's, I'm just trusting that the the Lord will lead you in, in those things that he wants you to just take a step closer to him in. Whether it's an attitude change, whether it's trusting that he is weaving and working his amazing plan in our lives or whether it's that challenge to take a step toward him in faith in, in living out a generous life. But why don't you just lift up your hands in front of you this morning as a sign of surrender to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you see each of us here today those of us in the room and those online. Lord, we thank you that you see our story. You see the work that we do. You see the way that things have played out for us in our lives, Lord. And as we stand here before you this morning, we just want to surrender ourselves to you again, Lord. We want to be more like Jesus. We need the power of your Holy Spirit to transform us. So for each person here, Lord, as they just speak out the thing that they feel that you're asking them to just step towards you in, Lord, whether it's to have a humble attitude, whether it's to exercise trust in your plan and the promises that you have set before us already, or Lord, whether it's to not hold back with what you have given us, but to give freely to those around us with whatever resources you have given us. Lord God, would you be glorified in our lives? That's our greatest and deepest prayer. 
We pray that your name would be lifted up in our lives, that our lives would be a true reflection of your heart, that it won't be mistaken just for good deeds, Lord, but that our very lives would give glory and honour to your name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.